What is going on? This is uh, another edition of the podcast, The Things That Interest Me. It's a Monday. It's been a couple of weeks since I brought you a podcast. Uh, I haven't really had much to say. I haven't really had many things that I've come across that have interested me enough to talk to you. But I uh, figured it was time to bring a little bit of my thoughts back to a podcast Maybe get a little bit of input back from you. Again, I am driving. Right now, I'm on I-85. Heading north. Going to be spending a good bit of time in Charlotte. Heading up to Durham. Coming back down to Charlotte again this week. Last week, I was all over the place. I was in Charlotte on Monday. Atlanta on Tuesday. I was in Spartanburg on Wednesday. Thursday, I kind of stayed around the office. Then Friday, I played in a golf tournament, and for the first time ever, I won a long drive contest in a golf tournament. So that was kind of neat. I've never done that before. Um, Also, I also had never been placed on a team before. It was captain's choice. So you take the best of each of your the four partners that are playing, the best shot off the tee, and then they all play from that spot, and then the best shot of those four on the approach shot and then the the best shot of those approach shots gets played next and hopefully you're putting for birdie and we put we had quite a few birdie putts uh last week i mean probably i'd say 10 maybe nine ten holes we were putting for birdie uh, and came up short um we made three putts man it was terrible in fact those were the only three putts and I didn't make a single one of those three putts um, those are the only three shots that we took that weren't mine and I am not by any means a great golfer um, I haven't even played in a year and I played pretty good for me and I played better than I expected and I guess if it would have been nothing but me playing and it was stroke play I probably would have shot about an 81 or so 82 at worst I guess um, which is which I would have been you know going into it I thought man if I can if I can play bogey golf, you know, maybe come in around 90, I'd be happy. Um, I was definitely prepared to shoot 100 by myself. But I was counting on the fact that I wasn't going to be the best golfer in my group, you know, maybe the second or third best golfer in my group. And uh, I'd have someone else that could kind of lean on, take some of the pressure off, um, at least one person in the group. Maybe even when it was the worst golfer, who knows, that could make a few putts. And, and we'd come out there, you know, three, four under par, something like that you know, finish in the middle of the pack or maybe even down towards the bottom at three or four under, but I definitely didn't anticipate um, taking, you know, 80 or taking 76 out of our 79 strokes um, coming from me and, you know, wind up finishing seven over par, 79, finished tied for last, um, but I, you know, look, it, it is what it is. It wasn't a, it, it was not a competitive uh, tournament. It was very casual. So I was happy to get out there, get out in the sun, swing some clubs around, and I was, you know, really pleased at how I played. Um, went pretty conservative off the tee for the most part. Hit a lot of three woods, a lot of five woods off the tee, a couple of four irons, just because I was going last. And if no one else put one out there in the fairway, I felt compelled to uh, at least get something out there, you know, 200 yards down the fairway. Um, and then uh, on the last hole that we played, which was actually hole number two, um, that was the uh, 
that was the long drive hole, and there was an uphill par five. It's only about 400 and I guess it was only about 440 yards or so as a par five, but it was straight uphill. So, I mean, that added a good 50 yards of distance to the hole. And uh, I hit one, had to have been at least 280, uh, maybe 285 or so. Um, and I bested the, uh, the person who ha- was previously the holder of the, the longest drive by about four or five yards or so. So it was actually the last tee shot on that hole of the tournament because we were the last group to play that hole and I was the last person to tee off so man I guess that stinks for the guy who who had it before me but apparently the same thing happened to me on one of the closest to the holes where we were the first group to play a par three that had a closest to the hole on it and I put a pretty nice shot up there it's like seven eight feet away and I was told that it stood until the final group that came through and played that hole and the guy put one, it hit it, one bounce, hit the pin, bounced away, bounced, and then and then rolled back towards the pin. And he ended up getting it like a foot and a half away. He was in the final group that played that hole. So otherwise, I could have come away with a closest to the pin and a long drive. Um, that would really have been a first. I have won a, a, on two occasions. I've won a closest to the pin. Um, I think one time on the closest to the pin, I won an umbrella. So that was a nice little prize. And another time I won a closest to the pin, I won a $20 gift certificate to the local Ruby Tuesday, which I think I then re-gifted to somebody else later on down the road. So those were my two closest to the whole prizes that I've won before. I was telling a buddy, I was telling Will Mahoney about uh, my, my long drive and you know this and that. And, he's, and he mentioned, oh yeah, at that same course, his father won a closest to the pin, and I was thinking, oh, okay, cool. He won a, you know, he maybe he got a, a really good prize. Maybe he won a uh, a new wedge, or uh, something like that. No, he won a car. Yeah, he won a convertible. Um, so I'm playing in the wrong golf tournaments, apparently. So if any of you guys want to invite me to a really nice golf tournament, pay my buy-in, and let me just. Uh, kind of cross my fingers and slap an eight iron up onto a green somewhere I, I am definitely your guy I'm down so please invite me to golf tournaments and pay for my entry please that would be great so uh, I guess we'll just kind of head right on into the meat of the podcast sit back and enjoy all right so as I said I am heading uh, north on 85 and uh pretty typical for me whenever as soon as I cross into uh, the state of North Carolina there's a, a rest stop uh, I guess it's you know, between exit 1 and exit 2 on 85 heading north pretty typical for me to stop at this rest stop by this point I usually have maybe a cup or two of coffee in me a couple of couple of gulps of water down as well and, and that's usually my first restroom stop of the day so I pull in everything's normal but when I walked inside the rest area, it was as about as far away from normal as can be. Now, there typically is some strange things that occur in rest stop bathrooms. I tend to uh, wear blinders when I go in and don't pay any attention to what's going on. I'm in there to do my business. I get in, get out, get back on the road. Uh, it's not strange to hear some, some weird sounds coming from bathroom stalls anytime you're at a public restroom. 
but but this one was a little bit different. There was a there was a man in there today who was just absolutely just crying his eyes out. He was in a stall, couldn't see him, don't know who he was, don't know anything about what happened. There was a car parked over near the rest stop, uh, bathroom area, the only other car that was in the area, so I assume this was the the car that belonged to the guy crying in the stall. It was a little uh, hatchback of some sort, so not, not a real nice car. So just judging by that, I'm guessing between the, the, the fact that he had a, a really awful car and, and he's in a rest stop area crying his eyes out, this guy's, this guy's probably at rock bottom. Uh, I don't, I know, I know you, I know, I know a little bit about rock bottom. I've never hit rock bottom and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today on the podcast, hitting rock bottom. But you, but you need to know that I've never done it. So I I don't have that perspective on things. But I imagine that driving a hatchback to a rest stop on I-85 in Charlotte on a Monday morning and crying your eyes out in a bathroom stall is probably rock bottom. And rock bottom's an interesting concept. Uh, You know, alcoholics have a have some notions about hitting rock bottom. You can never truly recover. If you can recover, I guess. If the recovery is even an option. You can't do it until you've hit bottom. Uh, I I feel the same way about Tiger Woods. Um, Tiger Woods did not hit rock bottom um, back around, you know, what was around Thanksgiving or so. Or maybe it was a little earlier than Thanksgiving, but back in, in uh, 2008, 2009, whenever that was, when, when he was at the peak, almost the pinnacle of his career, and his, his wife figures out that he had been cheating on her with dozens of women, and she decides to take a, you know, reportedly takes a, uh, a, a seven iron to his back glass on his, on his car as he's trying to get out of the way, driving out of the situation, and ends up running his car into a tree or something like that. And, uh, of course, since that point, he's never won a major. He's been uh, hit with with many injuries as well. So a couple of different rounds of, oh, is Tiger back? Is he coming back? Uh, Oh, no, you know, he had a, you know, he maybe won a couple tournaments. And and I think he won a player of the year uh, about five years ago, maybe 2013, 14, somewhere in there. He had come back from injury. Won a couple of tournaments, had a good season, won Player of the Year. I think he led even led on the money list that year, uh, and then and then he gets injured again, and and is kind of back to to playing in that you know rankings of about three, four, five hundred or so. Playing just a few tournaments, trying to make a comeback. Has a has his injury reoccurs, or he's just not fully healed, and, and back surgeries are a tough thing, and he's had quite a few of them. But he still didn't hit rock bottom. Uh, he, he didn't actually hit rock bottom, I don't think, until uh, last summer when he was arrested for a DUI. He was found sleeping in a parked car in the middle of the street in the middle, middle of the night. And he was high off of sleeping medication and, and he was drunk. And terrible mugshot photo of him. Just, I mean, not looking like... Tiger Woods, you know, hero, champion golfer, 
perhaps one the greatest golfer of all time, probably the greatest athlete golfer of all time. Um, I mean, he's certainly not number one in terms of of majors one that goes to Jack Nicklaus, but I don't think anybody had ever won that many majors in that short amount of time with that much fanfare and and, um, and just uh, how athletic he was and how he won some of those golf tournaments. Uh, it was quite unreal, and that mugshot was just not the same image of Tiger Woods that everybody was used to, and it was something a little bit different about it than the time he. Uh, he was busted for for the uh, sleeping around on his wife. There was just something about that mugshot photo that screamed, you know what? I think he's hit bottom. And that, after seeing that photo, I, you know, a lot of people decided, you know, oh, we're going to ramp up bashing Tiger up from you know level nine to level ten. And I was probably at an eight or a nine when it came to my disdain or dislike for Tiger Woods. Not so much my dislike for him, but my dislike for the way a lot of fans worship Tiger Woods and uh, I didn't understand how you know not only did they worship him why he was doing great but they stuck with him and kept you know boasting and, and proclaiming that he was back every single time it looked like he was going to be healthy and and did a little bit in a tournament oh he's back he's back he's going to take it by storm I wasn't in that camp I've always thought that he, he was never going to be truly back um, and I'll explain why in a minute but that mugshot, something about it, told me, hey, he's hit rock bottom. And, and there's something about an underdog that we like to root for. And, and I decided then, you know what, I, I'm, instead of rooting against Tiger Woods, instead of wanting somebody else to win a golf tournament, instead of you know, laughing at the fact that he hasn't won another major since that, that, that Thanksgiving when he got in trouble, um, instead I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for him. I'll be happy for him. Maybe not actively root for him and cheer for him, but I will be happy for him to have future success. Anytime he has success in the future, I will be I will be pleased because I think that is the the true story of of somebody who's the underdog, even if it comes from the point of they had everything and then they lost it all and then they got it all back. And I think I think that's a story we like to root for. But this guy, Tiger. I, I never thought after his after his uh, cheating scandal, I, I didn't think that he would be able to come back fully and, and have that just you know that same feel to him when when he walked onto a golf course when he was in a final pairing when he had a lead there was just no doubt in anybody's mind that he was going to lose I mean he was just always going to win that and he he had a great streak going of where he, when he was when he was in, in the lead. He did not relinquish that lead. If he had a Sunday lead, he usually built on that lead. Um, but there's something about the way he got caught and what he got caught doing that led me to believe that he was he was pretty much done for. And that's you know he was emasculated. And so uh, next next section I'll talk a little bit about Tiger Woods, the man, the myth, the the emasculation. So he's emasculated. Sorry about the little break there. Needed to get my bearing straight on where I was headed. So Tiger was emasculated. What do I mean by that? Well, from the from the time Tiger Woods was a very, very young boy, I'm talking two, three, four years old, I mean, that young, he he was it was already ingrained in him by his father that he was going to be a great golfer, 
that he was the man and there was absolutely nothing that Tiger could not achieve in life. That's a great message to give to a young kid that there's nothing you can't do. But Tiger, Tiger didn't get it in the little doses that most of us get it in. He got it in as large of a dose as ever been prescribed in the history of the world. I mean, we're talking like Alexander the Great, Napoleon. Uh, we're talking those type of levels of, of just the, of believing that there's absolutely nothing you can't achieve. I mean, very few people, well, most everybody at least hears that, and a lot of people think that. But nobody truly, truly believes it to this level that Tiger Woods believed it. And it's part of what made him an incredible golfer. He could hit any shot at any time and achieve the maximum result. And obviously he worked hard, he trained hard, he was prepared hard. Um, but he was anointed very early on. Very, very early on. And he lived up to it. How rare is that? I mean, it's, almost, it's one of the most rare things in sports somebody being anointed at a young age that they're going to be the next great one and then they absolutely live up to it. I mean, very, very few times. LeBron James was one of those rare ones that was told early. I mean, cover of Sports Illustrated when he's 15, 16 years old and then, lo and behold, he does become that all-time great Hall of Famer that everybody said he was going to grow up to be. So Tiger Woods was told early on he is the man. There's nothing you can't do on the golf course. And apparently Tiger Woods carried that over to his personal life. There's nothing he couldn't do. If he wanted something, all he had to do was go out and get it. And that's what he did. He did it in the golf course. He did it in his personal life. But then he got caught. He got caught and he got told you can't do that anymore. And I think part of this was the fact that his dad had already passed away at this point. And he had nobody in his life anymore that was telling him, that's okay, you can do whatever you want. You're Tiger Woods. You can name it and claim it. You can see it and wish it, and it will happen for you. Nobody was left. His dad had passed. Nobody's telling him, that's okay, Tiger. You do what you got to do. He's now being told, you can't live that way. You can't do those things. You can't have everything you want to have. There are things in life that aren't going to go your way. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're powerless. Tiger Woods didn't realize he was powerless before that. And if you don't realize you're powerless, you can't hit rock bottom. So Tiger definitely didn't hit rock bottom. And it translated... His personal life translated onto the golf course. Now when he's got an impossible shot, he doesn't have that that just 100% belief that he can make that he can make this shot. He can make it work. He can get it in the hole that he's the man. Now he's got these doubts that have crept into his personal life and now they've crept into his golf game. And that's all it took. Those doubts all it took was started with those doubts and then you start hitting him with some injuries and now his brain is telling him he can't do things and now his body is telling him his body had told him he couldn't do things a few times before he's had some he had had some surgeries he had had some knee surgeries he had had some health difficulties that that for most golfers 
uh, you know, it would cause their, their career to go ahead and head on a downward trajectory and they'd never come out of it. But that happened to Tiger a few times and he would change his swing, he would make adjustments, he would get back at it, and, and then he'd be back on top of the game again. But this time was different because now when his body was failing and his brain wasn't there, his ego wasn't there to tell him he could do it anyway. And he spent seven years this way in this cycle of injury, recovery, and then he just couldn't put it all together on the golf course. One season he kind of did, but then he was hurt again. And he never hit rock bottom. But he finally did with that DUI, sleeping medication, DUI, terrible mugshot. That's what finally did it for him. Finally hit bottom. You combine finally hit bottom with finally getting a, a, the right surgery that, that, and the right recovery and his mind in the right place. The admittance that he is powerless, that he needed help. I think that's, that's the real reason why his, his golf game has come back this season to a point where he is, you know, he's not the best golfer out there. If anyone can truly say they are the best, he's definitely not the best. But he's in the mix. He's in the hunt. He's putting together multiple rounds in a tournament that that are putting him in contention. And I think that's some success. Even though he's already had this success in, in the last few years, a couple of different times since 2008, he, I think mentally he's in a position where he can take this physical success that he has and put it together with some mental success and it will continue to translate on the golf course. So I'm rooting for him. But it took hitting rock bottom. And that, that steers me back to this guy in the bathroom stall who's, who's at rock bottom today. What is it? What is, what is he bottoming out from? What, what, in, what has happened in this guy's life to put him where he's at today? I have no idea. I mean, it could be something, a marriage, a family member, maybe somebody's past, maybe he's got a, a, a medical problem, maybe he's got an addiction problem, maybe he's lost his job, I don't know, I have no idea. But I stood there for you know, 35 seconds or so as I was doing my business and that's just all I could think about was, man, what, what is going on with this guy? What, what is it? But I'm certainly not going to approach him in a bathroom stall. I would never do that in a million years, no matter what. So when I, when I finished up, I went back, and I just kind of stood outside my car for a few minutes because I have a mind that I, got, I want to know things, and I'm, I'm certainly going to come up with some scenarios of, of what's going on. But I just wanted to know. And, and I have a bit of an ego that thinks, that tells me that maybe I could help him. Um, it's, I like to help people, but I don't think I really truly like to help people from the sense of I, I want to do it for them. I think I kind of have that feeling of I want to do it for me. It is a selfish type of mentality that makes me want to help people. I don't know if I truly 100% want other people to be in a better condition. I want myself. I, I definitely want. I definitely want me to feel better, and I and I know I feel better after I help people. And I, 
and I have a bit of an ego that makes me think that I can. I can help you. I can help your problems. I can make things better for you. So I stood around for five, five or ten minutes just waiting for this guy to come out. And then he didn't. So then I sat in my car for a few minutes. And then he didn't. And I was taking note of the people who were going into the bathroom. Uh, and then taking note of who was coming out and making sure it was these same cars. No one ever came back to this hatchback. I was also paying attention to the people's faces as they came out to see if they gave any kind of reaction as to, hey man, that was strange, what was going on in there? And a couple people did. Saw one guy kind of snickering as he kind of walked out and I saw one guy really scratching his head. Saw him go through those same feelings that I went through of standing around wondering, hey, should I talk to this guy? I should probably go in there and help him, but I mean, I definitely can't open up a bathroom stall. I can't, you know, I can't do anything for him while he's in the stall. It's just that same feeling of, I'll wait for him to come out, and, and this guy was less patient than I was. He didn't wait more than about 20 seconds or so before he said, screw it, I got places to be. But I bet you I waited over almost 30 minutes. 30 minutes of waiting outside of a bathroom for a guy to come out that never did. So, I really don't know what to think about it. Is he, is he in a position where it's kind of like a wounded animal, I guess. When the animal's wounded, don't, don't ever walk up on a wounded animal because all they're going to do is lash out. They're not in a position where they can be helped. They're in a position where anything that comes towards them is now a danger. They're going to lash out at it. And the people are the same way. So when you're in that middle of hitting that bottom, you can't be approached right then. You're not in the right mindset to be approached. You've got to come out of that first and then have that realization of where you currently are. And I I don't know. For some, I imagine for some people that's that can happen quickly. It can happen within minutes or within hours. Maybe for some people it takes weeks or months, or maybe even years. But I do know if you're crying in a bathroom stall, you're in, there's 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 no help for you at that exact moment in time, and that's pretty scary. And it'll take that guy some time, and who knows? It could be days, weeks, months. Like I said. But eventually, he's going to look back at that point and say, that was it. That was when I was 100% powerless. I was at rock bottom. And maybe I'll turn it around. So, if you're listening out there, guy in a black Suzuki sort of hatchback car, if you were, if you were uh, crying in a bathroom stall on I-85 north, in North Carolina, about mile marker one or so, just as you leave South Carolina and head into North Carolina at about 8.30 in the morning on a Monday in May 2018. Let me know. Really, I mean, there's no way I can help you at this point, but uh, I just want to know what happened. I'm really curious about that. So, um, if it's hopefully it's something I can laugh at. It's funny, in a sense. I don't know. Maybe it's something you can look back at later and laugh at. I, I hope. But, uh, man, it, there's something that happened there. 
I really hope it wasn't just like a really bad egg McMuffin or something. I mean, I want I want this to be something serious. I want this to be, you know, you know, uh, got divorced, dog died, lost my job, uh, ran out of money and ran out of booze all at the same time. I, I, that's what I'm kind of rooting for. I don't want it to be, uh, you know, bad breakfast burrito at 7-Eleven and. This is this is it. I'm gonna die in this bathroom stall because I, just the pressure is so much. I don't want it to be food related. I want it to be real. But I do want to hear about it. So uh, maybe a few listeners out there can reach out to some people and and ask your friends, ask your coworkers if they were crying in a bathroom stall this morning, Monday morning. That would be great because um, I'd like to find out who this guy was and what what his story was. But, uh, you know, other than that, I had a great weekend. After I stop and get some gas, I think I'll kind of talk a little bit about what happened this weekend. So, stick around. I'll be right back. Alright, I'm back. Excuse that little break. I, uh, had to get some gas. Went into a 7-Eleven. I am driving, as a reminder, all podcasts are done while driving, so uh, excuse the road noise, excuse the turn signals, all that garbage, you've heard me say it before. So, pulled into a 7-Eleven, and that reminds me, something I want to talk about at the end of this podcast, a little uh, power rankings of roadside bathrooms, be that fast food restaurants, gas stations, rest stops, kind of the do's, the don'ts, the ins, the outs. The, what to look for, what not to look for. Um, I got a lot of experience in this area. It's probably the thing that I'm most experienced at, especially over the last uh, year or so, as I've been spending a great, great bit of time on the road, uh, drinking lots of water and drinking lots of coffee. And I know what I know what to do. I'm I'm your guy on this. If you if you were ever wondering, uh, man, I'm I'm in my car and I got to use the bathroom. What do I do? I can help you with that. So at the end of this podcast, uh, hopefully I remember and don't accidentally publish it before I uh, add this segment, but um, I'm going to uh, give you give you a little bit of ins and outs on the old uh, bathroom break as it pertains to driving down the road. So before I uh, before I, I, I headed off into the into the unknown there, I mentioned I had a good weekend. I did. I had a great weekend. Uh, it was Mother's Day weekend. It's always fun, um, you know. Mothers are awesome. I have one. I'm married to one, and uh, mothers are great. So, uh, you know, happy Mother's Day, moms. And uh, so that that was nice. Then we also uh, had some sporting events that took place. Just missed my daggum exit. Ah, oh, screw Mother's Day. Um, caused me to miss an exit. Anyway, had a good weekend sports-wise. Clemson baseball took two out of three from the Austin P governors. Austin P is kind of interesting. Uh, how many how many universities out there are named after a governor? I don't know, but uh, then their mascots the governor, the governors. Austin P was only one person. It was only one governor, but. Uh, they pluralized it. I happens. I think a lot of schools pluralize their mascot. Some don't, but they've 
They could have just been called the Austin P. Governor, but instead they chose Governors. I'm not going to begrudge them of that. I think that probably sounds better, rolls off the tongue a little bit better. But took two out of three from them, and it kind of culminated in a, in a walk-off home run on senior day for Grayson Bird, son of former Major League pitcher Paul Bird. Uh, Grayson Bird's kind of a bit of a journeyman at this point in Clemson baseball. He's played about every position, trying to find a spot in the lineup. He's been kind of inconsistent over his career, but he's, he's this is his best year. I think he's got about 10 home runs, so uh, not really a, as much of a defensive liability as he had been in the past, but I think he's been, uh, he's been, he's been somewhat solid for the most part, so they kind of moved, had to end up moving him out to the outfield, second base and third base really didn't work so well for him. Uh, eventually, eventually kind of been bounced around a little bit out towards left field some as well. So, um, big, big, big uh, weekend there as Clemson probably secures a, uh, a regional. Um, don't know if we've done enough yet to be a national seed. National seeds where you finish in the top eight of the seeding, and that way if you win your regional, you would then as you moved on you would then host a super regional um super hosting a super regional is extremely important i'm sure the numbers bear this out i have no idea what the statistics are so i'll make it up but i would say if you are a national seed um and are hosting a regional i'd say you are probably twice as likely to move on to a super regional and if you are hosting a super regional I bet you are then again twice as likely again of then winding up in Omaha, and then once you get to Omaha, anything happens. If you're Clemson, usually one thing happens, and that's you make it to like the second to last game, or you even make it into the championship game or so, and then you lose. But for the most part, for most teams, anything can happen once you get there. So uh, that was nice. The Bundesliga wrapped up their season. Match day 34. A uh, little bit of drama and suspense there. Um, not at the top. Byron's had that wrapped up for literally a month. Maybe even, yeah, about a month. About four or five weeks early they wrapped it up and became, I mean, statistically they wrapped it up. But, I mean, in all honesty, they, they wrapped it up about a month into the season, about 30 weeks ago. So, um, But that became official. They finished number one. Schalke, my team. FC Schalke, no fear. We finished number two. I say we, and I mean that. Um, we finished number two ahead of our hated right, uh, rival Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund. They finished fourth. They were in third, but then they lost to Hoffenheim, who then jumped them one spot. So they switched spots. Three and four switched. Hoffenheim finishes third. Dortmund finishes fourth. They barely squeaked in at four. Um, for a while there, it was close. For a while, if you're watching it live, they only had a one-goal lead and goal differential on the eventual number, the fifth, the eventual fifth-place team, Bayer Leverkusen, and um, and then it ended up ended up becoming a little bit wider. It ended up becoming a three-goal margin because Bayer let off a couple of goals. Leverkusen let off two goals there at the end. To uh, I think they were playing Wolfsburg, and um, they came three-two. Uh, so so. Dortmund squeaks in there um, on goal differential and is in fourth place. Fourth is crucial because fourth place means um, in, in the Bundesliga, if you finish fourth, then you are an automatic entry into the Champions League. 
and uh, you don't have to go into any playoff rounds or anything like that. You are straight in, or any qualifying rounds, you are straight into the group play um, as a full-fledged member of the Champions League, which guarantees you um, six, six games at least in the Champions League. So Schalke hasn't been in the Champions League since, I think, 2014. So it's been a, been a few years. Um, but we've put together a really nice season under a brand-new coach, Domenico Tedesco. And uh, young guy, he's 33 years old, first season coaching in the Bundesliga, and uh, we finished second place. I mean, honestly, you couldn't have had a better season because you weren't going to get past Bayern Munich. Nobody was going to get past them. Um, you didn't have the talent. You don't, at Schalke, you definitely don't have the talent to do it. There's really only one other team in, in the Bundesliga that has the talent to compete with, with Bayern, and that's Dortmund. But Dortmund severely underachieved this year. They even sacked their manager a few weeks into the season, and the new guy was, I mean, he was basically milk toast all year. It was very strange to see. Um, and they had some internal, you know, uh, personnel problems, some guys that had to kind of run out. Um, and then when they kind of started, did, do, they started playing pretty well again around match day 28 or so, with, you know, about seven or eight games left in the season. But it was kind of a little too little, a little too late. And then the last two or three weeks of the season, they just looked terrible. I mean, they won, they lost their last two games. Um, and they, they were in a position to, to, to pass Schalke last week. Couldn't get it done. Uh, Schalke ends up, I guess, we, I guess we wound up seven points clear of Dortmund, which is nice. Schalke kind of measures their seasons against Dortmund rather than any other real success, tangible success, which is probably a problem. It's kind of a Gamecock mentality. But I, then again, I have compared Schalke to the South Carolina Gamecocks on many occasions in terms of, you know, uh, been around a long time, have never won anything of any real importance at all. I mean, Schalke's got, uh, Schalke has, like, they've made it to a finals of a Champions League back in, like, I don't know, like 2000 and three or four or something, or 99, I don't remember when. I wasn't a fan back then. Uh, they've, they won a Europa League, but I think that was before it was called Europa League. I think it was called the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. Um, that's kind of like winning the 1969 ACC Football Championship and then never doing another thing after that. So, But the fan support's there. Um, the fans are there. The fans show up. The fans demand a winner. They just never get it, but yet they still show up. They're still very passionate, and they're pretty much a laughing stock of all the uh, the league and all the good teams. And their rival has, uh, you know, no real clear inherent advantages, but yet always do more, spend their money, spend a little bit more money, spend it much more wisely, have much more uh, demands for success, and then in turn they get that success. Um, that, of course, being uh, Clemson here in this case. So uh, perhaps I picked, I picked a team uh, without, without truly paying attention to their, to their comparisons in terms of college football. However, I picked who I picked because um, I think my fear of picking, being a bandwagon fan is greater than uh, my fear of rooting for a loser. So... But I've been happy. I mean, I kind of got in on the ground floor here with Schalke. Uh, I, I consider myself probably the biggest Schalke fan in the state of South Carolina. And if anybody wants to 
to uh, have any contention on that. Anybody says that's not the case, I'd like to hear about it. Um, but I, I will contend that I am the, the biggest Shaka fan in all of South Carolina. Um, probably Shaka fans number in South Carolina, probably in the single digits, I would think. I might even actually be the only one. Um, but I, although there is a lot of German companies in South Carolina, so I'm sure there's some, 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 uh, German internationals over here, and there's probably one or two that are Schalke fans, and hell, maybe they're bigger fans than I am, but I'm the number one American-born, never been to Germany, and, uh, yeah, and don't really speak German, I'm the number one American, non-German-speaking, non-German citizen, non-ever been to Germany, Schalke fan in the state of South Carolina, and I dare anybody to uh, try to argue with me on that. So, that was nice to see uh, Schalke back in the Champions League. Um, we're going to be playing up against the big boys of the world like Real Madrid and, and uh, Barcelona, Juventus and Liverpool and Manchester United and Manchester City. Get to really see how we stack up against that top flight competition. We will probably be an early exit. Uh, probably will not make it past group stage. Uh, we've got to bring in a number of players. Um, if we want to be able to compete in Europe and also then compete in Germany. So that's the other side of it. This is something we need to build off of. We've made it to the Champions League. That should allow us to attract some, some better talent because everybody wants to play in the Champions League. And you don't want, if you're a top flight, uh, you know, foosball spieler, then you don't want to, uh, to just play for any old team and just play in Germany and that's it. You want to get some, you want to get some European wide competition in. Even if that's just the Europa League, you, you, but you definitely want to be in the Champions League. So this can help Schalke attract some better talent. And that's critical because, because now we're going to be playing extra games. We're going to be playing midweek games for at least six weeks during the early part of the season. And in order to be able to compete in not just the Champions League, but also in your home league, in the Bundesliga, we need depth. Otherwise, our guys are going to be wore out, tired, and not able to compete in the Bundesliga, and then we'll get knocked out of both competitions. We won't be able to compete in, in Europe, and then we won't qualify for Europe the next season. So, very critical we get some extra signees in here. We've already got a couple coming in. Uh, I'm really excited about Mark Ut. Mark Ut is a striker for Hoffenheim. He, uh, that's one of the other teams in Germany. He finished second this year, uh, or tied for second, I think, and goals scored in the Bundesliga. I think he had 15 goals. Uh, Robert Lewandowski blew everybody away. He had 29 um, and took player of the year again, striker of the year and all that. He's incredible. But Mark Ut joining Schalke next year, that's a position we desperately needed was just a top flight striker uh, who's got a nose for the back of the net. We really needed that. Um, we need some more midfield depth. Uh, that's a little scary right now. Hopefully we go out and get a couple of guys fill up some midfield depth and on the back line um, you know we, we, we're already thin there we've done we've already signed one guy Salif Sané who's kind of like a little Naldo clone Naldo is our 6'6 Brazilian who's 35 years old playing cen uh, center back and now we've got Salif Sané who uh, has uh, been around for a little while he's not too old though he's like 28 and uh, he's tall. He's like six foot four, six five. Apparently, he can play a little defensive midfield. I hope that's not what we do with him. 
I hope we have them back there in center back, and then we have like the two tallest guys in Bundesliga back there with each other that are both awesome in set pieces as well, getting their head on the ball, putting it in the net. Uh, really got a lot to look forward to there. You can't take the top off of our defense. Um, last year with an old coach, Marcus Feinzel, we were the worst team in the Bundesliga on set pieces offensively and almost the worst team against set pieces in the Bundesliga. And this year, it was the exact opposite. We were the number one team on set pieces this year. We had more goals scored on set pieces, and it was a runaway than any other team. And then conversely, defending set pieces, penalties and corners, we were the number one team in defense. We, I think we only allowed one set piece goal all year, and it was at like the very end of the season, and it was a stupid play on the goalkeeper who kind of just let a ball just bounce through. Um, Instead of, instead of going out and attacking it. So um, really, really uh, a lot of good things to look forward to from Schalke. So I'm looking forward to that. And without further ado, I'll bring you my, uh, my bathroom report. All right, so bathrooms, roadside bathrooms for the traveler. There's, there's, just, one, there's just one real important notion that you need to grasp here. And that is this. This is my motto for roadside bathrooms. Get in quick, get out quiet. Those are the two most important things. What you don't want to do is, one, pull in and then have to wait around or look or seek it out or have to wait in line and take, you know, get glaring, you know, people glaring at you and glancing at you and saying, oh, hey, this guy didn't buy anything. Hey, this guy, he's clearly just here off the road to use the bathroom. I don't know why that scares me, but it does. Uh, and then two, get out quietly. So when you're done, you can get, go, get in your car, get back on the road. You didn't take up a lot of time. You get in, get out, do your business, go about your day. So there's, there's three things here at play, and then there's a wild card, okay? Number one, rest stops. Government-funded rest stops. Who knew? These are actually decent. This might be the, the greatest thing outside of defending our country and, uh, and fighting wars, sort of. We're not very good at fighting wars right now because we're not really fighting them, but that's a whole other podcast. But defending our country, number one, supplying roadside bathrooms, number two. Uh, we actually do a decent job of that. Uh, so anytime a rest stop is available, take the rest stop. That's option number one. That's your best bet. Number two. Uh, is a mixture of national chains, either from the gas station world or from the fast food world. But you got to know some fast food restaurants and some gas stations are better than others. Number one on this list is McDonald's. It is bar none of all privately uh, operated businesses here, private being non-government. McDonald's is number one. They are in the business cranking out food and having clean bathrooms that have multiple urinals a lot of times some cases multiple stalls you don't ever have to wait no one even cares that you're doing this because they're making so much money they don't care who walks in off the street and goes and uses their bathrooms I saw uh, Starbucks just had a story published um, in response or a press release or something in response to this whole kerfuffle with with uh, one of their store employees at one of their their stores uh, calling the police on a couple of guys 
who were loitering, and they say they were waiting for uh, a co-worker or somebody, um, and and the uh, and perhaps they were. I assume they probably were, um, but they've been waiting around a little while, and they got thrown out of there. Police called on them, and um, and because they these two guys were um, minorities, they uh, there was some outrage over it, and, and thinking maybe it had to do with their with their skin color. And that does not, that's not a good look for Starbucks at all. So now, what does Starbucks do? Well, they do the ultimate liberal thing. They make a mountain out of a molehill. And instead of just pushing this story out under the rug, they think, well, we need to go out and make a massive public stand and, and try to repair our image on this. So what are we going to do? We're now going to let, we're going to say all are welcome in our bathrooms. You don't have to, you can be any skin color, you can look any way, you can be any way, and you don't have to buy anything. So it's not just open to our customers, which is an implied thing with all businesses and their restrooms. It's implied that, hey, this is open for our customers. But it's not open to you unless you're going to be spending money here. Now, McDonald's, they really don't care. So that's why they're number one on the list. Starbucks, on the other hand, is now advertising. You got to use the bathroom? Hey, we're open for business. Come use our bathroom. And what this is going to do, I know this sounds like the slippery slope argument, but slippery slopes are a real thing. This is now going to be home to every bum in every inner city. They're going to now be flooding their Starbucks, and no one's going to be able to tell them, hey, you can't do this. You can't spend 45 minutes in our bathroom because now if Starbucks says, hey, you can't do that, now Starbucks is racist. So Starbucks, what they've done is they have written the narrative that they will now fall prey to. When all they had to do was say, we're sorry, we apologize, this person has been fired, we're putting through all, you know, we're going to put all of our employees through, through special training on this, and it better not happen again, because if it does, we're going to fire that person too. We love minorities, and uh, we don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. Um, we hope that you see our past and understand that this is, this is an outlier. Instead of doing that, and the story going away after a week, they've now written a narrative, they've written a story, and all that we have to do left now is, is uh, wait for the ending to be written by a, uh, probably by a heroin addict in a bathroom who uh, leaves his needles hanging around and, um, and spends an hour in the bathroom. So look forward to that in the near future. So McDonald's, number one on the list. And then, and then under them, you've got your Wendy's and your Bojangles and your uh, Burger Kings and Hardee's, KFC's, places like that. But not all these places are open for breakfast. And not all these places have a lot of customers in them. McDonald's is always, you're always assured of, of two things at McDonald's. One, they're serving food. Two, there's going to be other customers in there. So now you don't look out of place by walking in at 9.30 in the morning. Um, I mean, if you walk into Wendy's, I don't think Wendy's serves breakfast, but they, they're open at like 9.30, but no one's going in there to eat. So if you walk into a Wendy's at 9.30, you're getting looks. And that's what we're not trying to do here. We're trying to get in quickly and get out quietly. We don't want looks. So don't go to Wendy's unless it's lunchtime, unless it's dinner time. So McDonald's is your best bet on that. If a place does serve breakfast, like a Bojangles, then you can sneak in there. You can sneak in there at 8.30 in the morning. However, at 2.45 in the afternoon, there's no one hanging around Bojangles hardly. So if you go in there at 2.45, 
you're getting looks. Don't go to Bojangles at 245. Go to McDonald's. So McDonald's is number one here. Now, you also have the possibility for gas stations. Gas stations are a little more unique here, and it's a little bit more nuanced here with gas stations. So you got to pay attention here. Number one, do not go to a non-branded, non-chain gas station to use the restroom. That's just take my word for it. Don't do it. Unless you know personally know the owner, don't do it. So you go to a national chain or you go to a huge massive chain. So we're talking 7-Elevens. We're talking quick trips. Uh, there's a couple others out there that are probably more regionalized. Um, in the upstate of South Carolina, we have Spinks. Um, when you go to one of these type of places, you're assured of a few things. You're assured of that they have clean restrooms. That's nice. It's not always the most important aspect of it, but it's nice that you know they're going to be clean. Number two, there's going to be multiple stalls and urinals in there. Because these are larger, they're branded, uh, they, they have company policies that make sure they keep these up and keep these nice. So you know when you go into one, there's going to be a bathroom, it's going to be available, you can go in there, it's going to be clean, and you can leave. And it's also important that you go to one of these because they don't typically have a store owner present. They don't have that manager, that upper level manager, you know, gas station manager, or they don't have that, that independent owner operator present who's got the balls, who's got the courage, and who has the means to say, hey, you, you're not buying anything, you're not going in my bathroom. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, these are the guys, like I used to be, these are the guys that tie their, their bathroom key, they chain it to a board, or they tie it to a, to a brick, and uh, if, you, if, you have, if you have the gumption to go up and ask for a bathroom key, you better get your money's worth out of it. And, and that's typically what happens. You, you feel that, that need to uh, say, hey, you're going to make me carry around this 2x4 to go use your bathroom? I'm going to leave you a little present in there. So what that means, if you come in, you're going to come in behind that customer, and there's going to be a present left in there for you. And it's not going to be pretty. So that's very common for these little individual owner operators. And a lot of these guys are foreign too, and they're not afraid to mix it up. I've got nothing against these foreigners. They're great people. But hey, look, they've earned their spot. They've worked hard for where they've got. They're not afraid to mix it up. And they've got skin in the game. They're not just this, uh, this, this kid who's, who's uh, making $6.50 or $7.25 an hour who's doing this part-time, and he really doesn't care. He's just trying to punch the clock, um, probably steal a few taquitos and maybe a hot dog on his way out the door every night. No, this guy's got skin in the game. This is his life. This is how he makes a living. This is how his kids eat. Okay, this is a real. This is real to him. So you don't want to walk up on one of those situations. That can be. That can be the absolute worst thing. So to kind of summarize here, rest stops number one. Number two, we got McDonald's and some of the. And then under that, some of these lesser known chains. Also number two, we've got the branded McDon or the branded gas station, the, brand, the branded uh, rest stops there, uh, the branded. You know, fuel up spots, convenience stores, and then number three, under that is everything else. It's the under, it's the non-branded gas stations. It's the local restaurant. Um, it's any other type of business. Those are all. Those are all number three. But we do have a wild card. 
we have a wild card here. And this wild card can become an absolute game changer. So, there's, there's one problem with each, with each of these, these three levels here. With the, with the government rest area, with McDonald's, with uh, Quick Trip, and, and even with your small Indian-owned, uh, independent, owner-operated convenience store. Here's the problem. It, no matter how clean it is, you, you, if you've got to go number two, if you're walking into a poop situation, it has to be clean and it has to be private. Otherwise, chances are you're going to be sitting, you're going to be bunking with a guy next to you who's going to have himself a real problem. And you're going to have to sit there and suffer through his issues while you're going through your own. And that is unacceptable to me. This is the 21st century. We are not animals anymore. We should be able to poop in private. And that's why I like to poop in the private of my own home. I don't like to go out in the public to do this. So, but there are situations where it's completely unavoidable and you have to do it. And here is the secret answer. Hotel lobbies. Nice hotels, not the Motel 6, not the $29.99 any day in. Decent hotels, your Hilton Garden Inns, your, uh, even your Hampton Inns for the most part. Um, any hotel that you would feel comfortable staying in. Now, we're not talking about the Ritz-Carlton here. It doesn't have now that. I wouldn't even try that because they might have eyes on this. But I'm talking about the Wingates by Wyndham's. The, uh, you know, like I said, the Hilton, the Hilton Garden Inns. Those those type of hotels, they have very nice, squeaky clean hotel lobby bathrooms. First floor bathrooms. Um, the customers at these hotels don't use those bathrooms. They have their own bathroom in their room. So that takes that out of the equation. The only other potential people that are going to use these bathrooms are the hotel workers. And what are hotel workers? Hotel workers are not big, gruff, manly, you know, taco 12-pack eaten, then head to the bathroom men. They're women, almost entirely women. So they don't even go to the men's bathroom. The men's bathroom is 100% open and fair game and ADA accessible. It is the most glorious thing in the world. So I recommend as a wild card, next time you're on the road and you gotta do number two, don't feel bad about showing up to the hotel bathroom. So, let me know how that goes. Let me see if that works out for you. Hopefully my advice on roadside bathrooms, you'll be able to take advantage of that one day. This should be true across the country nationwide. It's not just true to the southeast. So have fun. Enjoy. Uh, don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Like it. I'm still waiting on somebody to send me a voice memo. I can play your voice memos on the air if you use the Anchor app. And uh, you can pick this up on Apple Podcasts as well. Don't be afraid to read a, uh, to, to leave a review. I, I, I won't read the Apple Podcast reviews because I've never even opened it from Apple Podcasts. But I know it's there. Uh, people have told me it's there. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed this one. This one's a little longer form. But I got a lot of driving to do today. And I got a lot of driving to do the rest of this week. And even though I said at the last podcast that I may bring you a second episode this week, and then I didn't even do it for two whole weeks, um, I may bring you a second episode this week, so be on the lookout. 
And after that, peace.